morning to you all. Good to see you. Trust you're doing well. Uh, probably all of us have had busy weekends with different things and uh, gearing up for the holidays. Obviously a busy week uh, as we finished up VBS and uh, the long hours that that uh, requires for many of you. Appreciate your faithfulness. Now, we had a good week of VBS. If you were here, uh, Lord blessed. Uh, had, had good numbers, about average numbers, honestly. Um, but just a really good spirit amongst the kids. Um, good good work on their part and effort and, and uh, just a lot of fun. Uh, did have some uh, salvation decision and a couple that uh, moved the needle, if you can say that, uh, where kids were very interested, weren't maybe quite ready yet, but uh, got to be dealt with, and we'll, we'll see how the Lord uses those situations. Um, but I uh, appreciate those of you who were involved, and even more so those of you who were praying for VBS. Um, the, the nuts and bolts of putting a VBS on is a, is a as a format, as a event, is a pretty easy thing, quite honestly. You throw a few games up, put a few signs on the walls. It's not that difficult. But that doesn't mean anything. Uh, and it's the prayer that happens behind the scenes that actually makes the VBS worthwhile. So those of you who might not have been able to be here in person, um, your prayers were, were more valuable than all of the game workers and, and uh, skip people and all of those things combined. So I appreciate those of you who are involved in that ministry. Uh, VBS was a, a successful week for us, and I appreciate that very much. We're going to finish. This will be our last week of our series on worship. And uh, hopefully it's, it's been an encouragement and maybe a challenge in some respects. Uh, we've looked at what worship is. We've looked at what worship isn't. We looked at last week the... The benefits of worship for us. God doesn't ever give us commands that are purely for His benefit. When He tells us something and gives us an instruction, it always has benefits to us. It's good for us. And the more we recognize that, the easier it is to uh, follow willingly because it, we recognize it's, a, it's a, for our good as well. It's not simply following rules for rules' sake but it ends up being a positive for us. And worship really is that in the fact that it keeps our eyes upward. Um, we'll look at that a little bit today in the how we worship. And it's not exclusive or not an exhaustive list, but two specific ways I want to challenge us in. Um, commonplace events in our own personal Christian living, um, but how worship should be a part of those two equations. We might get to a third, but I don't think so. Um, these were individually two, three separate individual lessons. Each one took a week. Um, but I thought we'll just kind of mash them together a little bit um, and just sort of encapsulate it in a, in a smaller format. And I trust that that will be what the Lord has for us today. We're going to pray, and then we're going to get into how we worship, ways that it shows up in our daily or weekly living. Lord, you're good to us in all things. Thank you for it. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the time that we've had dealing with the the issue of worship and its importance and its impact in our lives, how it changes us makes our the rest of our spiritual life so much easier when we recognize who you are high and lifted up when we see you and we we put you in your rightful place in our lives Lord, what a what a benefit that has in the nuts and bolts daily living that we go through we'll just watch us now help uh, this this time to be a fitting conclusion to the series and, and to uh, begin to give us ways to specifically think about how we worship and and, and our minds being engaged in, in that act. Lord, we thank you. Praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not going to rehash the entire first two lessons. We sort of did that recap last week, but I, just, I do want to just kind of highlight a couple things and remind you how important or what worship is and its distinction versus praise. Um, and we won't, again, not spend a lot of time here. Remember we talked about the, Lord, the, the Bible is ex, ex, 
very exhaustive in its, its commands for us to praise and worship. Oftentimes we, as human beings, sort of interchange those terms and, and sort of use them either or. It's not really the case. If you remember, we've talked about that. Praise is to recognize excellence in a specific thing. But praise can be on the, on the horizontal and even the downward trajectory. As you can praise a small child for their, you know, that they picked up their room or they drew a picture for you. You can praise the quality of their efforts even when you recognize that you would be superior in that same task. So praise is not always an elevated type of thing. It can be a, a, a neutral or even downward grade on that. Worship cannot be. Worship can never be on an equal and saying, worship is, I'm, I'm going to worship something that's the same as me or even less than me. That's by definition not possible. Worship is the elevation of. It's the recognizing something is superior and above me and, and worthy of my uh, that adoration and, and desire for. So there's our worship. So the Bible does tell us that we ought to worship, come and worship and, and spend that time recognizing not just the excellence of God, what he has done. Uh, you know, we do on Wednesday nights, we, we do praises and that's saying, well, you know, God did this for me. Well, at the same time, just by way of expanding on this just a little bit, we could ask the same question and say, who's got a praise about their neighbor? And you could say, well, I really want to praise my neighbor because they came over and mowed my yard yesterday, or they picked up, or they did the... Okay, we could spend 45 minutes praising other people for their nice acts and their good things. And quite honestly, sometimes our praise to God, is, it sort of feels like that. It's, it's just, wow, the, you know, something good happened. I'll praise God for it because I don't know where else to put the responsibility. So it had to be God, and we kind of throw out God, you know, Help me to find gas five cents cheaper than anywhere else. Okay, that type of, but we don't necessarily translate that or, or connect that to worship where we're elevating and saying, this is because a high and lifted up holy God, a, the God who reigns above all creation, did this on my behalf. And we don't, we don't turn our eyes up where we just recognize the horizontal blessing. Okay, there's nothing wrong with recognizing blessing, but it's not true worship if we're not recognizing the position of the one who caused it. So we're really worship is part of that looking up idea. And we also talked about worship is part of the mental process. Scripture says they worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, we've talked about this, but just before we repeat, that in spirit has two implications. In the spirit, God enablement, okay, the Holy Spirit's leading, but it also has to do with the spirit of man, mind, will, and intellect. So to worship God, we must worship with our mind, will, and intellect. It is a purposeful event. It's a purposeful mental process that we go through. It's not simply being in the right room at the right time with the right people. It's none of that. It's not if Art's worshiping and I'm sitting next to him, therefore I get credit. No, if my mind is not engaged in the process, he might be worshiping and I might be wasting the time. It's my personal investment that changes that dynamic and defines whether I'm involved in worship or not. So those two things are sort of our, our bedrock that as we look at this week, the lesson this week, because we're going to talk about two specific things that are sort of corporate in nature, but also in some individual as well. And we're going to see, are we worshiping in some of these things that, we are, that are part of our regular, normal Christian living events? The first one we're going to talk about, and I want to be careful here because 
oftentimes you talk about the issue of giving and people automatically assume that it's some sort of an arm-twisting, guilt-trip thing for the church needs more money and so we're going to talk about tithing and giving so that you feel really bad about yourself and start upping the offering. That's not it at all. If you look at giving and you look at the truth of giving, you're going to find that that is absolutely the reverse. Now, it is misused. Uh, we, let's not make any bones about it. You can flip on your TV and find a lot of stations where guys are twisting your arm and trying to get you to give because they need a new yacht or they need a whatever. That's not what this is about. This is about the biblical Christian walk and giving as part of that. Giving is commanded throughout the scriptures. You see from the early book of Genesis, God commands them to bring a sacrifice, to bring that offering, to bring that gift and lay it on the altar. All the way through uh, the entire New Testament, we find giving as part of that. And part of it, and, and the, largely the function is there were those gifts that were offered uh, in a way that was only God, uh, how do I say this? The benefit was only in, in the recognition of God's position. Okay, a burnt offering, nobody really gets that. It's burned, it's gone. Okay, but there was the truth of giving to the local ministry or giving to missions, Paul's missionary journeys and so forth. So the question becomes, are we worshiping in our giving? Is giving a financial transaction or is it an act of worship? Now, obviously, at first blush, I ask that question, all of you, all of you came to the right answer. Nobody here says, you know what, giving to the church is purely a financial transaction, that's all it is. Nobody came up with that. We don't send you a bill each month for your church membership dues. Okay, We don't have that. So our giving should not be about some obligatory financial you know, monthly payment. It is an act of worship. But okay, so we know the right answer, but the question is, is it in practical reality part of our worship? I'm, a, I'm of the opinion that for most of us, most of us, our giving is not that much worship. It has become simply another bill. I, I, I'm going to personal testimony and shame on me. Okay, feel free to start casting stones. I feel terrible about this, but it was not too long ago, a year or so ago, I started recognizing in my faith promise that I was doing my monthly budget and I was simply... Faith promise was out of the equation. I knew what it was per month, per week, whatever, and I, I'd already subtracted that, and I was doing the rest of my math. And it was almost like I wasn't, that money was not part of my, my budget, my, my, my income. And I just sort of mentally checked that off and said, okay, we, live, we deal with our lives on this amount of money versus this amount of money because faith promise is off the equation. And my wife writes the checks. She always has in our family. She writes the checks, and there would be many a week that would go by that that idea of faith promise, the giving of that gift, whatever it is, did not even cross my mind. She wrote the check. It went in just as we promised. I knew what the amount was because we'd agreed upon that to start this particular year. But there was not an actual conscious thought on my part of making that a gift to God. It was simply as much as my water bill, mid-American bill, or whatever bill comes through the mail. That's all it was. It was a financial transaction. In my mind, I knew this is a gift to God. That was what it was intended to be. But the practical reality of life caused me to simply start treating it like the water bill. Did you pay that this week? Okay, good, we're good. And that was a sum total. It wasn't an act of worship. It should have been, it could have been. 
But my mind had not been engaged, had not processed, had not been specific in how we do this. Now, I'm, I, John Rose may fire me here in a minute, but that's okay, because I'm going to say something that I, 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 I believe. Okay, I'm not going to go to see to it, and I may be convinced about this later, unconvinced. But I believe in my heart the problem that I have, I had with my faith promise, I believe that many of us also have in what we call the tithe. I am not, just, just me talking, this isn't any official position of the church or anyone else, this is me talking. I do not believe in the tithe for today. It's an Old Testament principle, and I get it, it's mentioned in the New Testament. But the tithe was a mathematical equation. It was, here's what came in, 10% of that is gone. And there were different offerings. If you look in the New Testament, tithe is not mentioned apart from a reference to the Old Testament. Giving is largely mentioned in the New Testament. Compare the tithe to 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. Go there if you would. 2 Corinthians. Before you think, woohoo, he doesn't, he's teaching don't give. We don't have to worry about it anymore. Read 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. Because you're going to find, the reason I say the tithe, personally the tithe is not a, a hard and fast like it was in the Old Testament, because it's not enough, quite frankly. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, verses 6 and 7. Second Corinthians 9, verse 6 and 7. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him do, not grudgingly as unto necessity or obligation. For God loveth a cheerful giver. Do you notice he doesn't talk about give the amount, give the mathematical amount that you are supposed to give. Give this 10% or whatever you want to call it. If you added up all the Old Testament ties, I've heard somewhere between 20-25% of if you've added them all together and the different, different offerings they took form of. But he doesn't say give according to the mathematical equation of what you're obligated to give. He says no. Give abundantly. Give excessively as you have purposed in your heart, giving it cheerfully, giving it with a smile. Now, there are as many things I have done when writing out a check for a bill. Smiling and being happy about it has never been one of them. This isn't an obligatory bill that we get to pay because we did the math. This is an act of worship where we come before a holy God and say, Hey, I want to give. I want to pour out my love lavishly. Now, some of you are probably like my wife and I. Birthdays, anniversaries, that type of thing. Generally, there's this consensus between the spouses. All right, anniversary, you can spend X number of dollars, and you kind of agree on, so you kind of know what each other's going to do. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, well, you're going to spend, so you kind of have this equilibrium. How many of you love to break that rule? I absolutely do. I absolutely love it. Because we've agreed, and I get to give a little bit more. I get to show my love a little more excessively. And if, if, the, if it was $20 or $50 or whatever it was, 
I want to go and break. Why? Because I don't want to say, well, your love is worth $20 to me. No, I want to be excessive. I want to give more. I want her to know that you can't contain, you can't limit my love and my care for you. I'm going to go above and beyond. Now, maybe that's terrible, but that's what I want to do. Why? Because love prompts me. Math hinders me. Our giving should not be, well, I did my duty. That would be like me saying to my wife, here's the receipts. Here's everything I bought. See, $49.99. I got to my $50. That's what, that's what you, we agreed. That's what you're worth to me. I want to do that. I want to be excessive. And I think you understand that idea. Our giving to the Lord should not be, what's my obligation? But instead, how extravagant can I be? Now, we have to be careful here. Because there can be reckless zeal. My brother often talks about a, a, a fellow at the college where he went, where they would, somebody would twist their arm about giving to the bus ministry or whatever type of event it was. And this guy would do so, and he would just empty his wallets and everything because some guy twisted his tail. And he, I don't remember how long he said, how long he was there, but he'd be in college and he'd give away all his money and he'd have to drop out of college and go home and work and make up money. And he, he was a perpetual student. He could never actually get his degree and get on in the ministry because he kept giving his money and then we'd be out. Now, if God tells you to empty your wallet, empty your wallet and he will reply it. Scriptures are clear on that. But there's an emotional reaction sometimes. There's a, there's a, there's a, 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 a guilt or a, an exuberance that's humanly generated or pridefully generated, quite frankly. Let's be honest. You know, you put a big check in the offering, hey, look what I did. And it's all about what we feel about ourselves and our own self-worth. That's not God-directed, and God is in no obligation to replenish that. That's given for wrong motive. If God leads you to, to empty your wallet or do whatever that is, then do so, and he will repay. But we have to be careful that we don't get caught up on our own methods and our own desires, our own thoughts. But this is an act of worship. Why? Because it's not me going, what can I give? <laughs> Let me write that out, whether of necessity or of ego. Well, look at how big a check I can write. This isn't about me deciding what I can do or what I should do or what it would be cool for me to do or how much I'd be impressive if I could do that. This is me saying, Lord, what's the need? You're high and lifted up. You're the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the supplier of every need. You are the sustainer. You are the one who gives me everything. What of this that you have given me can I return back to you as an act of love? Lord, lead me in my giving, and I will willingly and cheerfully give it to show my love and adoration for you, knowing that you have obligated yourself to meet my every need. I submit my own capacity to earn, save, and pay my bills. I lay that on the altar and recognize you are the ultimate in sustaining and keeping me. It's not my bank account or my own financial frugalness. It's an act of worship. And remember, if you go back to what worship isn't, the story of David. For many of us, the amount we give in the offering probably doesn't radically change our lifestyle. It's not to the place where it's really costing us anything. 
we can write the check, we can clear, it clears the bank, and we don't give it a second thought because it's, it's already forgotten, it's already done, it's already dealt with, it's, out, it's past there, and we just keep motoring on without any act of, hmm, I want to give in a way that has meaning. I want to give in a way that shows God's worth, not just what's left over in the bottom line that doesn't affect me if I give it anyway. Our giving, whether you want to call it the tithe or not, or grace giving, I don't really care what name you put on it. But it doesn't matter how you give or what you call it when you give. If it is not done in a purposeful mental act of obedience and surrender and elevating God's position and you willingly surrender yourself to his authority and his provision, whatever you give is not worship. It's obligation. It's of necessity, not out of willingness, not out of a zeal, not out of a, an earnest desire to recognize God's position in our lives. So the act of giving. I think we're going to I think I'm going to switch here. I've got more to be said on that, but time is not allowing and I want to make sure we get through our second one here. But the act of giving is your giving. Is your weekly or monthly however you choose whenever the Lord lays on your heart, however that goes your faith promise. Are those items is that act is it truly worship or is it the same as any other bill? You write it, you've already counted the money gone doesn't really affect you it doesn't there's not a mental process engaged if not then we're not doing what the scriptures have commanded us we're not utilizing that opportunity for worship the other thing that I want to look at in a way that is worship and this is probably again this is my opinion I'll, I'll frankly state that it's nothing scriptures don't tell us this in clear terms but in my opinion the greatest act of worship the greatest indicator of our worship is our prayer. For many of us, that's not good news to say that prayer is the best indicator of our walk with the Lord and our, our worship of Him. Because, let's, I, I, again, I'll, I'll air my dirty laundry. I could probably say that prayer would be my most difficult, my most challenging portion of my spiritual walk. It's easy to get up and lead the choir or do ministry. It's easy to, to go out and, you know, fix the toilet when they're broke or whatever needs to be done around here. It's easy to go talk to other people. Prayer is one of those things that for probably the vast majority of us comes very difficult. We know to pray. We probably even pray on a regular basis. But that true, genuine act of worship in prayer is probably not where it ought to be. And I think part of that is simply a recognition of its importance and its function, and that might help us. I want you to go uh, to Matthew chapter number 8. There'll be two places in Matthew. Two, they're not parallel stories, but they have a parallel truth that we'll look at both of them briefly and Maybe help us. I'm going to read a few verses here in Matthew chapter number 8. And then we'll go over to Matthew 15. And when he, that's Christ, came down from the mountain, a great multitude followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, Thou canst make me clean. Jesus put forth his hand, touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately 
his leprosy was cleansed. Okay, you probably didn't catch the phrase. Let's read it one more time. Then we're going to go to Matthew 15. I'm going to see if you can catch the same phrase in both passages, both stories. And when he was come down from the mountain, a great multitude followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Jesus put forth his hand, touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. All right, go to Matthew 15. Verse number 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, said, It is not meet to take children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs of the crumbs, the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And you know the story there. It's a very small phrase. But it happens in both passages. Look at verse, in this particular passage, look in verse number 25. Then she, excuse me, then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. It doesn't say, and if you go back to the Matthew 8 passage, you'll see the exact same wording there. You'll notice it doesn't say, she came and worshipped him, and then said, it says, she came and worshipped him by saying, Lord, help me. If you go back to the Matthew 8, you see the same thing with the leper. The act of asking was in and of itself worship. Why? Because you are elevating and recognizing the authority of the one who you are petitioning. You are going to the source of that which, of who might be able to meet your need. Okay, I say might in the sense that we could do this with other things as well. But in the idea of God, we know it's an absolute. He can. Now, whether he will or not, it's depending upon his will and what's best for us. But when we come to the Lord and say, here is my problem. Here is my situation. Lord, you need, I need help with this. In fact, she says it below, Lord, help me. That very act of coming to him what we call prayer, petitioning, asking, that is an act of worship. Now, why don't we do it? <laughs> that, my sentiments exactly, Doug. He, Doug kind of rolled his eyes and shook his head. Maybe he was mad at me. I'm not sure, but I think he was responding to my question. It's a stupid position that we take. But why? Think in your own mind. I had to do, I, back when I had done this lesson and reviewing on it, I did some soul searching. And it, I think probably for most of us, the answers are going to be largely the same. We know we're supposed to pray. So we even start. And little distractions jump in our brains, and we think about, you know, the kids start screaming down the hall, or, you know, time is going away, you know, we've got, we're late for something, or and pretty soon this antsy, and we get up from our attitude of prayer, and what do we immediately start doing? doing. 
We leave the place of surrender and say, Lord, I can't to go and start trying. Do you recognize the silliness of that? This would be the equivalent of the leper saying, Lord, help me! And then going down to the river and trying to wash the leprosy off. Not going to happen. And when we do that, do you know what we're saying? Lord, help me! Oh, never mind, forget it. I was just kidding. I don't really need help, I got it. And we would never say that with our mouth. We would never even harbor that conscious, rational thought. But that is exactly what we are doing. Just kidding. And instead of elevating him and worshiping him and seeing him high and lifted up, we say, no, you're just on my level. You could help, but I don't really need it. It would be the equivalent. I, I don't know Art's sitting here, so I'll use Art again. Art's a, a very skilled guy. Construction, framing, trimming, that kind of stuff. Okay, He knows what he's doing. There's a lot of projects that Art could be a help. If I needed him to do them, I, hey, Art, can you come help me build this or do this? I could. Art has come over a couple times because he just showed up and said, I'm going to come help you, which was wonderful. I don't think I ever asked Art to come help. I don't think I said, hey, Art, I really got to have you. Art, please, please, Art, I'm begging you. Please come to my house, Art. I got to have you help, Art. I never did that. Even though he's got a skill. Why? Exactly. Thank you. Call it what it is. In my mind, in my head, my heart, my hands, I am quite confident that I can handle whatever I need to do. There were things I've done on our current remodel I've never done before. I don't care. I can do it. I'll take care of it. I'll figure it out. It may take me 12 times, but I'll get her done. Art may have had the exact magic remedy on how to do it quickly and easily. I wasn't going to ask him why. I got it. How often do we say, Lord, I really need your help, but I think I'll just take care of it on my own anyway. Prayer is in its core recognizing his position, our inability, our insufficiency, our desperate need, and allowing him to do what we cannot do. I said I wasn't connecting the two, and I didn't say it actually for this reason, but before we started, I mentioned those of you who were praying for Bible school, and I, I just said it was off the cuff. I, wasn't, I didn't have planned those remarks. I wasn't lying. The people who were sitting at home praying for Bible school did far more than Mucho Mula ever will do. The kids love Mucho. The kids scream for Mucho. We have a mass riot every night to see Mucho and get, you know, be close to him. They love Mucho. But if all we did was have a guy run down and throw out some paper and have some fun, there is nothing there. We can do that. We could make a thousand kids come to this auditorium and have a blast. But there will be nothing there that will last past the last piece of candy thrown, the last you know, ticket sold. Nothing will last past the week. Why? Because we can't do what needs to be done. But it's those who said, Lord, there's a Bible school going on. Something's got to happen. Those teachers are tired. They work all day. Now they're showing up trying to teach a spiritual lesson to a bunch of kids that only want to go play the games. Lord, something's got to happen, and we can't make it happen. You have to. 
That's an act of worship. It's a mentally agreeing with the situation. I'm in it, unable. He is ultimately able. And I transfer that dependence and I allow him to do for me what I cannot do. Now we can ascribe it to Bible school, but we can ascribe it to daily living. Lord, I've got a family problem. Lord, I've got a job situation that's, that, that's there's just that coworker that's, Lord, I've got a financial need. Lord, I've got a health need. I can't, you can. Do we say those words and then pick ourselves right up and go try to start solving it? Try to start fixing it? Try to start doing all the things that we say we are unable to do and immediately make ourselves a liar by starting to try? That act of prayer is that act of worship, that moment of honesty, when we can, we can lay ourselves bare before the Lord and say, I can't. It's hard for us to do. I get it. Because our pride stands in the way. Our self-sufficiency stands in the way. But if we're going to get real with our worship, prayer has to be a part of it. And not just a formulaic recognizing we need to pray. Not just, okay, I'm going to you know, I'm gonna pray before meals. And I'm going to pray you know, in the morning in my Bible reading. I'm going to pray at night before I go to bed. It's wonderful to have earmarked times of, of seasons of prayer, as they call it. It's, it's wonderful to have those sort of structured times when you, you just know that this is my time to, to, to be involved in this. But remember, prayer is an act of worship. And worship is an act of the mind. Probably all of us pray on a regular basis. How much of our prayer is formulaic? How many times, if you would record your prayer before a meal, could you just hit repeat the very next meal? Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. Help us have a good day today and get everything accomplished we're supposed to. Lord, just uh, give us what we need today. Amen. Do you know why that tripped off my tongue so quickly? Because I probably prayed it a thousand times. It's words that I say, and if I actually broke them down phrase by phrase, I would agree with every one of those sentiments. They would be a true statement. But they rattle out of my head so fast and with so little thought they were not recognizing God's ability to handle my day. They were not a genuine grateful attitude that the God of all creation provided food that I could eat. You know that there are people who don't have that ability, but God has allowed me to grow up in a country where that's never really been a problem. Now it may become a problem someday, but it's not currently. Do you know that when I say, Lord, give us what we need today, sometimes that takes the form of things that I'd prefer not to have? Do I mean, Lord, give me what I need today? 
Or am I just spitting out little platitudes that I've said a thousand times and my brain goes into autopilot and while my mouth is spitting out those words, my head's reeling through all the things I should do today. You know, I've got to do that and I've got to take that to there and I've got to take care of that and all that's I've got it fixed. And I remember I've got to go, oh yeah, I forgot I told Christian. And my mind is thinking about all the things I'm going to go do as soon as I can get done with this little thing. I've got a thing before I can eat. Is our prayer worship or is it a mindless recitation? It involves the intellect. It involves the will. It involves the mind. And if we are not engaging that purposefully and methodically and intentionally, we are not praying. We are not worshiping. We are doing a disservice and a mockery to the very God we claim to extol. I'm not harping at you at all. I'm looking square in a mirror right now. But if we're going to worship, we have to wake up. We have to recognize it's not an accident. It's not just a happenstance. It's not just a, a byproduct of religious ritual. It is an intentional, specific choice that we make with our minds, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us. And what's the scripture say? Holy Spirit prays with groanings we cannot honor. We don't know what we're supposed to pray, so we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. Worship Him in spirit, by the Spirit, and in truth. He leads our actions as we willingly will volunteer our minds to allow Him to lead us. And the, the end result, the, the, the product, the completion, is we see a clearer picture of God. We submit ourselves to that image, that truth, that reality, and recognize that He is the sustainer. He is the provider. He is the fill-in-the-blank of our specific need. If we're not there, then we truly are going through a ritualistic waste of time. Something you'd call it. So worship. We've looked at it over the last few weeks, and you've been so wonderful. I appreciate you. You've listened intently. We've looked at what worship is, what it isn't, why we should do it, the benefit to us. And here's two examples of maybe the how or or in what circumstance we can be involved. This is not exhaustive. There's, a, there's thousands of other illustrations and circumstances. These are maybe two that we do on a regular basis that maybe deserve a little bit of attention, a little thought about, so that we can begin to use those opportunities more effectively. Got about two minutes here before we're actually supposed to be done, which is rare for me. Comment, question, thought? Tim, yes, please. Sure.
Good. I, it's funny, those are actually in my notes. I didn't, for time's sake, go to those, but I appreciate the Lord obviously wanted that to be at least put out there as something to think about because those, the grace is always deeper. It's more profound. It's, it takes us further than the law could because the law was a, a benchmark. It wasn't the fulfillment of spiritual truth. It was the, the ground floor that we couldn't even get there. Good, good, good. Thank you. Somebody else? Yes. is both to walk ahead of the Lord is to say you're not on the throne. To not go when he tells you to go is to say you're not on the throne. Both are wrong. Um, different temper, temperaments will, will gravitate to one side or the other, but you have to recognize this is an issue of worship. It's an issue of recognizing God's authority regardless of my own personal skill sets or temperament or, or attitude and, and being a surrendered servant because God's going to provide. So you're absolutely right. We can be on the other side of that sort of laissez-faire without, but that's, that's also rebellion, just a quiet form of rebellion. Yeah, good. Cool. If that's what the Lord's leading you to do, yes. You do what the Lord's leading you to do, whether that's in the form of giving, praying, going, whatever. It's the issue of where is God. Um, and, yeah, in your thought and process, and are you listening to his leading or your own desires? There's the equation. Yeah, perfect. All right, we've, got, we've gone about three minutes over now, which is fine. Appreciate all the comments there. Appreciate your attention, and uh, uh, thank you so much, and, and trust that we can all grow together in this act of worship and making it a part of our church part of our daily living, and just grow in the Lord together. Let's pray. Lord, you're good in all things. Praise you for it. Watch over us now, guide and direct this time we have coming up where we can sing and, and honor your name through our actions and attitudes. Lord, you are good. You deserve our worship. We pray that you would do for us uh, what needs to be done in changing our hearts and minds. Lord, we surrender ourselves and ask you to uh, conform us to your image. Lord, we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. Thank you.